This is Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 658. And the quote of the day is, do your own thing on your own terms and get what you came here for. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here, episode 658, and I hope you're doing well. And I apologize about the sound quality of this. I uh, am on the road right now, and I forgot my microphone. But don't worry, the whole episode was recorded the way that it normally is in my studio. But forgot to do the intro and forgot my microphone. So anyway, <laughs> let's get into this conversation. This is with my good friend, Daniel Glass, and he just released a new album called BAM!, and it's the Daniel Glass Trio. And we talk about not only the record and, and what he did with the record, but what I really think is important is we talk about how he's not only grown his audience, grown his social media presence, but then also how he put this record together. Because I think as drummers, we always wonder how we can put a record together, how we can write the songs, how we can really form a band because we typically as drummers sit back and wait for the phone to ring instead of going out there and and doing our own thing. So we talk all about that, about writing the songs and getting a a record label and, and selling out Birdland, which he just did for this album release for his record. So really great, insightful info from my good buddy. And I'm not gonna wait any longer. Let's get into it with Daniel Glass. DG, what's happening, buddy? Nick Ruffini. Man, it has been a long and winding road. I haven't talked to you in a long time, actually. It's I, been a while. I know. I know. You know what's crazy? I was I uh, I was telling you off air that I I dropped my wife off at the airport, and we were talking about. Somehow we were talking about New York City, and I was like, I haven't been to New York City in like three years, wow. which which I was going like I was in, like obviously I live in LA, and I was going back and forth every three to six weeks for a good three years and it's and now it's been three years since i've been to the city i know well when you were in philly you were coming up all the time and yeah you were here all the time but then what Um, like i can't even i like this is so crazy i can't even remember the last time i saw you i think it was before the pandemic it was definitely really crazy it was definitely before the pandemic yeah maybe nam show or something I don't know. Well, I can assure you that New York is just as stinky and foul as it's always been. <laughs> nice. And that's how nice. we love it. Nice. Well, um, you know, you had mentioned you mentioned when I was coming up, uh, when I was living in Philly before I moved to the New York area, uh, and I just released when I had just released my record. Uh, I had just started studying with you, and you and I just got to know each other. And now here we are all these years later, all these years late, all these years later, I can't say that for some reason, and you got a new record. That is correct. That is correct. And I need to start studying with you because you are the master of all things. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll teach you everything you need to know. 
Well, you have you've taught me about podcasting, so you know I did teach and, you and about a lot podcasting. Of other things, yeah, entrepreneurial yeah. stuff, and uh, so it's been it's been a two way street, man. It's been good. Yeah, and I have my I have my uh, what 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 was that April Fool's joke? My floating technique uh, course. That was... <laughs> That's right. And I bought it. That's how dumb I am. I was yeah, like, well, what is Nick hope, trying to do? <laughs> I hope it worked. The for floating you. technique. Yeah, you're like grips. It's all you know. Yeah, it's overblown. I, I, yeah, I did something. It was like, why are we still playing match and traditional grip that are hundreds of years old or something? Like that? <laughs> it's time to technique. upgrade. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, man, <clears throat> this is uh, this record has really been years in the making. As as anybody who knows me know I, I, knows, I don't just like put out something. I take a decade to put it together or get it together or whatever. And you know, my books have taken years and. Um, but th- this, the last record I put out under my own name was in, uh, somewhere around 2004 or five, I think 2005. So it's mm-hmm. been easily 15 years. Yeah. And, um, when I moved to New York in 2010, I sort of felt like, um, I was focusing on the education stuff and getting that up and running. And I was working on the books and the DVDs and, um, I was, I was, in terms of what I was doing playing wise here, I just have been focused on getting work as a sideman because that's pretty clear cut. Somebody hires you, you know, your responsibilities are limited to what you're, what you're hired to do, which in my case is play the damn drums and they pay me and that's it. And of course, anybody who's ever put out a record, unless, you know, you've got a million dollar budget and very few have those these days. Uh, anybody who's ever put out a record on their own knows that it is, you know, it is, it is kind of a suicide mission in many ways that you're doing it, (laughs) you know, not with the expectation of making money necessarily. And then, you know, all the responsibility is on the artist to, uh, not only to run all the business part of it, but to book the gigs and to figure out how it's all going to get paid for. And often, you know, you go into your own pocket pretty heavily in those circumstances mm-hmm. with with a very clear understanding unless unless you're living under a rock and you think it's the mid 90s or something that that you're you know not really you're probably not going to recoup what you're spending right. but you know that said um this group this trio that i that i that we recorded and that i'm t- actually tonight i should i should mention uh tonight is our cd release event at birdland um i've been probably most people know i've been playing at birdland um, every Monday for 12 years now, minus the 17 months we were off for the pandemic, yeah. um, or 16 Can't months or something. It's been 12 but, years. Yeah, it's, it's insane. In fact, about three days ago, April 24th, I don't know, this is April, what, 28th, four days ago is my 12 year anniversary of moving to New York. So it's kind of nice. A lot of things are coming together, but in 12 years of working at Birdland. Like, so, so we've known each other for yeah. 11, 11 years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's insane. Holy Time shit. is ripping by, you know. <laughs> but uh, uh, that that just really saw. Uh, I don't know. That's weird. Okay, go ahead. It's it's crazed. <laughs> it is crazed. Um, but it, it it's it, you know in twelve years of working at Birdland, um, I have never. I've played literally hundreds of gigs there as a sideman for many artists in both the upstairs venue, the main venue, and then the the theater downstairs. I've never I've never done a gig as a leader, and I and I just felt like you know. I started playing with this group. Um, so, oh, so I was gonna say tonight is our release event. And what's awesome about it is it's totally sold out. 
completely oversold, it's going to be kind of pandemonium in there. And it's kind of an auspicious night being that it's 12 years ago I moved to New York and um, this is the first time I'm really playing with this trio. I put this trio together originally to be the house band for my jazz intensives in New York. And then last year we had our first, last October we had our very first European jazz intensive, which hopefully will be, um, you know, uh, the first of many years. And I brought them over to Europe and we did a, an opening night concert there with a jazz society and we got to play like in a real concert hall. And I was like, damn, you know, like <laughs> this band needs to be playing out. So anyway, to go back to 2020 during the pandemic, I kind of was like, this is the moment. Let's let's go in and let's make a record. So we recorded this in 2020. I had no idea what was going to come of it. I had no game plan. And then, you know, one of the great things about being involved with Birdland is that there's a lot of activity. There's a lot of really fantastic artists that come through that I work with and get to perform in front of on Mondays. And um, have you ever been there for the Monday thing? You have, haven't you? No, no. Oh, dude. I didn't. Okay, well, definitely. It's a really special night. And, you know, I'm in the house trio. We back up everybody. All kinds of people are, are in there. Very well-known people uh, in the Broadway, cabaret world, the jazz world, the pop world, the comedy world. You know, we get Nashville world. Um, performers, songwriters, you know, and I've just kind of become part of this family. So... Um, we did this record and before the pandemic, I'd recorded, I think, three records for this little label based out of Nashville called Club 44 that was coming up and recording New York artists, mostly vocal artists in kind of in the cabaret-ish world. But they did a record with Jane Monheit. I don't know if you know who Jane is. She's a pretty famous jazz singer, has been around for 20 years Mm -hmm. probably now. And um, so I got to know the guys because they were there at the studio. So you're, sa- oh, you're saying they were hiring you to, to come in and play drums on these records? Yeah, I, the, gotcha. the acts. I did a record with Linda Lavin. I don't know if people mm-hmm. remember. Um, she's from Alice. She was she starred in Alice in the 70s. And um, she's also a terrific singer and a Broadway person and, a, and have been in a million Broadway shows. In fact, she's on a TV show right now called Be Positive, which is like, a, oh, I've, it's like I, an NBC I, show or whatever. Yeah, I... I've seen the, I've never seen the show, but I've seen it advertised before. Yeah. So she's like amazing. And we did a record with her and, um, we did our Birdland Christmas show. We did a record for that. And so anyway, I I got to know these folks and I had, I thought all they specialized in, all they wanted to record was cabaret vocal records, you know? So, um, but around Christmas time this past year, I went to them and I said, look, you know, I've, I've got this record. It's in the can. It's been in the can for a year. Um, I don't know if you could recommend any labels to me. I just wanted to talk to him about like, is it even worth getting a label in this day and age? Right, right, right. And I sent them the record and they were like, well, actually part of our mission was not only to do vocal cabaret records, but also to do like more straight ahead jazz stuff, instrumental jazz. And they said, we want to, we want to sign you. So then it became, um, I, around that same time, once I knew that there was going to be a, a, a CD and a label. Then I went to the owner of Birdland and he booked me on a gig and that's what's happening tonight. So this was all back in December and in intervening four months, you know, we've, it's, it's been a very interesting process. Um, sort of, you know, when I was with Royal Crown Review, we were on Warner Brothers, a major label. This was back in the good old days when like they had huge offices and 
hundreds of thousands of employees. Mm -hmm. But this is a little boutique label, and these guys have been in the business for a long time. They they started out kind of in the gospel market. There's a lot of different kinds of gospel down in the South, obviously, that, that you know, it's a huge world that most of us who live in non-gospel-y areas know nothing about. But um, they're very experienced and seasoned in, in the music business. And what they told me is they, and the thing that really sparked my interest in, in connecting with them is that they have, you know, the major label equivalent for distribution. And what that means, it's not, we're not talking physical distribution. We're not talking putting my record into stores. You know, that's pretty much over unless you're Taylor Swift or, you know, whoever, then maybe you're in Best Buy, and you know, or whatever. But right. <laughs> um, the, the, it's digital distribution. And what I've learned, and this is very interesting, I had no idea about any of this, is that if you have quote unquote major label digital distribution, then it's a different ball game in terms of uh, social media, YouTube, uh, Spotify, all these different online platforms where music is presented to people. And if they are connected, if they're tied into your various sites on those platforms, or if, if you know, they register the music through those sites, I don't know exactly how it all works, but mm -hmm. um, suddenly your engagement numbers or the opportunity for your engagement numbers to be much, much higher is there. So it's literally taken months to kind of get all this untracked. Um, and the label is very savvy. We actually did a release for the last two weeks where, you know, the idea was don't release the cover yet. You know, release, we, we have quote unquote two singles, right? So one of the, you know, one of the things we did on the record, which was t again, kind of a total fluke is that who's talking behind oh you? it was alexa i think somehow she thought i said her name and now <laughs> she's talking back to me that's so bad girl i was on a call with somebody i'm sorry to interrupt your story <laughs> oh, but no, I, no, no. I was on a call one time and they had they were listening to something in the background and uh and i was like alexa play barry manilow <laughs> and all of a sudden it goes it goes playing barry manilow from pandora <laughs> I couldn't believe that it worked. Yeah, it's insane. It. It's insane. It, it, that that just shows that that she is listening. I mean, this and was gathering that information. This activated every day. the person's the person's Alexa that I was on the phone with. Yeah, over the was, were you on speaker? Yeah, I, yeah, we were. Like, it was yeah. like a Zoom call. I know it's insane. <laughs> it's, it's, we're all we're all dead. I mean, we're all so screwed. Anyway, let's stick to more pleasant topics like jazz records. There you we know. go. Yeah. Uh Anyway, so I've been learning for the last four months about this process. And um, what did you, you learn know, about the process? I mean, because well, I think I think it's important for people to understand because yeah. there's a because there's a lot of things that go into making your own record, self-distributing or working with a label. Um, but but I think that people don't know where to start or, or people don't know right. some of these things. So can you can well, you here's share the like, number some one of the stuff thing that you First of all, the, the record label wouldn't sign me. They said, we love this record. The music is great, right? So we know, of course, you got to have a great record. And I, I think this is my 30, 32nd year in the business. So I've, I've been a DIY person for many years. As you know, I've made my own records. I've made my own DVDs. I mean, always with the assistance of people who have the technical know-how. But, you know, I've produced a lot of products and I've run my own show for quite a long time. And... What I was really shocked by is even though the label loved what I did, and that's also a good thing, by the way, there's lots of labels out there signing people and just sort of 
it's a numbers game, you know, maybe for them, or they want a piece of everything that you do. Maybe you've heard of 360 degree deals, which I think yep. is more popular that's in like, the pop that's, and rock world. Yeah. And that's but a like, newer, that's a newer deal where they, they get a piece of everything. They get a piece of your everything. publishing. They get a piece of your, uh, of your merchandise, of your merchandise, of your touring, of money you make of, on gigs. I mean, it's yeah, insane. Everything. And what yeah. do you get? You know, like, I mean, it's, it's, I would never sign a deal like that. Um, but the thing is, if you're a completely new artist and you're up and coming, if you put some kind of an end point on it, then it might be worth it if it's the right label. But I think a lot of labels are just preying on artists and saying, oh, I'll give you a deal. And artists, as usual, are so desperate, you know. So the thing I liked about Club 44 Records is that, A, they actually listened. They actually, you know, loved it. They specifically told me what they loved about it or why they loved it and why you know, they, they thought it was like a cool kind of a fresh sound and a fresh approach or whatever. So that was cool. But what, what I found out is that in essence, in order for them to sign me, they had to send all my social media numbers to the major label distributors. And that was Mm. what was predicating whether they were going to sign me or not was whether the distributor said, um, yeah, we looked at their socials and we've looked at their, you know, their, those numbers and it's worth us even distributing this. And then hmm. they could sign me. It was like, wow. See, you that's, know? I, you know, I've been telling people all these years, like, don't worry about your fucking playing and just play a bunch of chops and put them up on Instagram <laughs> and you'll get all the numbers. Like, why are we fooling around with trying to, you know, be musical? To be these good. Days? Yeah, yeah, I know. It's insane. <laughs> to be good. Yeah. Why be, why be good? Why be, why strive for excellence when mediocrity is acceptable? <laughs> well, and this is a whole nother conversation because, because, you know, a lot of drummers, are, are you know a lot of people get on social media especially older musicians and they rag on you know the whole uh you know young kids uh putting all their time and energy into their social media and becoming youtube stars and it's like you know go out and play play with people and it's like in reality that that is just as valid on its own merits as the old way of doing things there there mm-hmm. one is not any better than the other because proof is is there a lot of people have made a lot of money and have the large visibility and successful careers doing that. So I don't think there's anything wrong with either one of those. Um, But, you know, I mean, I think we all need to be growing our social media at all times, Mm -hmm. regardless. I mean, that's just what, whether that's your number one focus or whether it's someone like me who's doing it to promote the other stuff that I do. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think that it's, it's, it's foolish not to at least try to get, it's a district, it's, I don't want to say it's a distribution platform because I don't think that we should always be just pushing things out. It should be, it should be a conversation, but it's a right. connection point. And if you, yeah. if you put out really like, like Dylan Wissing is a great example, right? Mm-hmm. So he, um, he had like 300 followers or something like that. And he would, and he just started <laughs> adding value. Like he was sharing yeah. how he was setting up a room to record or sharing different microphones he was using for a snare drum or something like that and yeah, now, his videos are great and now he has like i think he has like close to ten thousand followers now wow on instagram yeah, yeah. that's yeah, yeah. that is awesome so that is awesome and it's not and and because i think that people are finding value in the stuff that he's posting he's not just posting come to my gig buy my stuff right. um you know like do this for me check this out for me whatever he's oh, like yeah. Here, i'll just add add some value um, totally. and, and then when he does release something or comes out with something, then he has people there who are, are like, man, this guy added a lot of value. Sure. I'll buy something from him. Well, with this record, I'm seeing that. I mean, I got a lot of love 
Uh, I mean, my my biggest platform, I have 6,000 and change on Instagram, but I have like 65,000 followers on Facebook, which I which I dutifully have worked and developed. You, you know, for years I put up those um, kind of vintage clips mm-hmm. of, of drummers that, that I dug out of the corners of the internet and YouTube that really nobody else knew about because of my history, you know, stuff. And, and a lot of people dug a lot of those. And then I've been putting up these wisdom posts, which I put up on Instagram and Facebook. Um, and it's taken, I'd say, five years of doing that. But now, like, you know, those posts get consistently get great coverage and good numbers. So those are kind of, for me, you know, and I put up stuff kind of like sharing, you know, skills and i put up drum solos and you know that, that kind of stuff too but mm-hmm. those those two things really have got me my sixty-five thousand or whatever followers on youtube and i also have spent 20 something years growing my my email list which is now around twelve thousand people and as you know How, so let me not, ask you that let me ask yeah. you this and you and i've talked about this multiple times before so when you're saying you spend time growing all these things, I know we're talking, I mean, we really want to talk about making your own record, but I think right. all obviously all of this ties into it because yeah. you just said you went and talked to these people and they said, well, let's look at his numbers first. What yeah. did you do to grow all of those things? Like the email list, are you putting it out while you're gigging and for Facebook and YouTube and all that kind of stuff? Like what are, what are you doing to actively grow those things? Well, I started with my own personal list. You know, I, I, Mm -hmm. which was a couple thousand people, 1500 people or something. Um, I, uh, I grabbed the Royal Crown Review list, uh, at some point along the way, which, you know, we had grown obviously from, and, and I, you know, I was the guy anyway in the band that had instituted all of that, getting it set up online so people could sign up online and always having somebody out walking around at gigs, always having the, the list up you know, and, mm-hmm. and really getting that organized. So I grabbed that. Um, another big chunk of names that I got was through, um, when I released the century project DVD, modern drummer ran a contest where they gave away like a $25,000 drum set with all the stuff that I endorse. And as part of that deal, I did get those names. So, um, you know, but then the rest has just been me, like dutifully adding people to the list mm-hmm. every clinic every show you know i always printing my mailing list forms and i've always got them out every drum festival you know like every yeah. all of those yep yep so you know i get 20 names 50 names 100 names here and it there. adds up too i mean i think that people always think oh i need i need to get you know a thousand people on my and first of all don't ever buy a mailing list please no don't ever buy yeah. a mailing list. Uh, yeah. And like, and, and the same way for social media, don't buy followers. But, no. but if you get 20 here and 50 here and 50 here and 20 here, that it starts to add up. All yeah. The time. And you got it. You got to hustle, man. I mean, that's yeah. what this hustle is that we're all talking about that Nick, I'm sure you talk about with all your guests. It's like, it's like, like today I'm, you know, a couple hours after we get off this call, I'm going to go down to Birdland. I've got a massive checklist. I've been emailing people. We're going to be, I've got three or four people shooting. I've got a st- stationary camera in the back, a guy that's got a gimbal, a handheld gimbal that's going to be walking around. I got a guy who's just 
a fan friend of mine who lives in Milwaukee and he's like, your release is going to be a great opportunity for me to bring my wife out. We haven't been in New York since the pandemic. Amazing. So I'd love to come and shoot your show. Just offer to do it. Um, you know, I'm going to set my camera up. So I have a drum cam and, you know, and then I, I paid the club a little money and the engineer is going to set up a multi-track. So we're going to multi-track it. So at the very least, I'm going to get some really killer videos out of this night, which again will lead to growing the, the fan base for me and for the, you know, so that's, you know, for the group, but that's mm-hmm. all in addition and mailing list. And I made sure I had ordered CDs. So I have physical product, you know, made sure I did that a month ago because you never know, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's like, these are kinds of things I used to think about two days before. Now I think about all this stuff a month before, six weeks before, you know, the fact that, that they said to me in December, yeah, we'll sign you and your CD releases April 28th. And I thought, Oh, I got five months. They're like, we're already so far behind the, the stick with this. And they were just hammering me to get them stuff. And I was like scrambling. I'd be on the road in a hotel room in Minnesota, you know, trying to like, you know, whatever, get them X, Y, and Z. And it's, it's kind of been like that. Like, and that's the great thing about having a real label that knows what the hell they're doing. Uh, or at least so far, we'll see what happens. We'll see, you know, <laughs> yeah. what this all leads to. But I mean, <laughs> I've been around enough charlatans and bullshit talkers in this, in this business to, to know if somebody really kind of knows what they're talking about. So right, right. It's, it's a combination of like really thinking things through and, you know, giving yourself time to get it all done. I'm sure I'm going to get there and be cursing myself that I didn't think of something, you know, and now it's too late. It's the day of the show, but, um, or you'll at least feel like you're missing something. Yeah. And the other thing about mailing lists I wanted to point out is that they're fluid. So you're always going to have people unfriending you, taking themselves off. I I, like, it kills me, you know, cause I, you can kind of see the numbers a little bit, um, you know, you get some stats after you send out a mass email and I'll send this beautiful email. I spent, you know, you know, you know, my newsletters, they're nice and they're, you know, they're, I check everything and make it all nice. And, and, uh, and there'll be like 73 people will take themselves off my list after I send out this beautiful email. I'm just like, why you bastards, you know? (laughs) And, and then like 27 names will just automatically unsubscribe through bounce backs, you know? And and it's just like, it's frustrating because it's like, wow, that was a hundred people just gone off my list. And how long did it take me to do that? But the flip side is you're winnowing your list down. And you and I have talked about this. You're winnowing your list down to the people that actually really care. And that's that's with social media too. You know, if you buy followers, you might have a lot of followers listed under your name, but how many of them are really going to interact with you, you know, are going to engage with you? So it's it's like... For me, Instagram, it seems impossible to add new followers. I I don't know how you add new followers on Instagram. But that said, you know, I feel like the followers I do have are really pumped and they're very engaged. And so I get, you know, pretty decent numbers. And, um, you know, I'm going to keep trying to learn how to grow on Instagram my following. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's the Facebook thing is kind of my bread and butter. My mailing list is a pretty solid bread and butter. So like what I was saying, what you were saying about putting out the content and then when you pull the trigger on something that matters, um, this release process has been um, very indicative of that because like I just threw up the cover yesterday. You know, I I basically introduced, I revealed the cover and I think there's almost 500 likes on Facebook. There's like 
30 shares, tons of comments. And Facebook likes that. So when you get those kind of numbers, Facebook opens it up. And I also learned, I don't know if you remember our friend Dan Schinder, I took a class with him Mm -hmm. about using Facebook. Maybe some of that information is now outdated, but the one thing that, that we can do is to share into public groups. And drummers are a really strong bunch And there's a lot of public drumming groups with people that are very actively involved. And so I shared, if you share into some public groups your post that's getting a lot of engagement, um, Facebook will reward you by opening it up within those groups. And then if those people share, that's that's really where the, the, then Facebook really gives you some love. Mm -hmm. You know, once it starts to leave your own bubble of followers and it starts going outside of that, that's that's how those videos that I shared, those those classic drumming videos, uh, really helped me because I, I learned, you know, that Facebook does that. And then if you respond to the people that comment, you know, and all that kind of thing, you comment back, Facebook says, Okay, this is good Facebook behavior. And so they'll 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 help you out. Right. But it you know, it could take months, years, and it's a slow you just it's a long game, man. It's all part of a long game. I hate using this, but like it's a marathon, not a sprint. And yeah. consistency is is far more important than fits and starts of oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna you know go to the gym for seven days a week for two weeks. But if you go to <laughs> if you go to the gym, you know three times a week for six months, that's far better. Exactly. You know, yeah. I mean, how long did it take you to learn to walk when you were a baby? It took months. How long did it take you to learn to drive a car? Um, I mean, it, I was, I was walking pretty, I was walking. Around. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You just got up. You just got <laughs> yeah. up. Yeah. Uh, and strode. You didn't walk. You strode. Yeah. Ex- strode. I like that. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a valid point. And I love the, I love that analogy about the baby where, you know, when you're talking about when things get hard, you give up and it's like, we don't go to a baby who's who's trying to walk and be like, you know what, this isn't working for you. Maybe we just skip. Maybe we just forget about this. Right? Thing. Yeah, you don't need to. You don't need to know how to do this. And similarly with driving, you don't have a choice. You either get good at driving or you're going to get in a lot of accidents. I mean, there are a d- lot d- of people who are horrible at driving. Well, there are, but I mean, yeah. they're good enough that generally they get through life without being an accident. They might have a lot of yeah. close calls, but it's like, you if you had an accident every other day, you wouldn't have a license. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So you got to get, you got to get to a certain level of proficiency in order to function as a driver. Yeah. It's the same, you know, with drumming. And then if you want to really be great, okay, you got to put in that much more work and, and be smart about it. So, yeah. So um, talk to me, talk to me about, uh, about creating a record and we're drummers. Most of us don't play melodic instruments. Um, So how, how does that whole process work from, yeah the writing aspect of it to going into recording. I like, I can speak from my experience of how, how I co-wrote my record. Um, Mm -hmm. How did that, how did that work for you? Well, it's probably similar. I mean, I think again, drummers, you know, we tend to, we tend to feel that we're less than because we don't have knowledge of chords and harmony theory. We don't play a melodic instrument. Um, But, you know, if you look at great drummer band leaders, I think of like Art Blakey, uh, or you think about Neil Peart in Rush, you know, I mean, they were making huge contributions to the music uh, and they were also running the show. I think it's, 
to me, one of the reasons why, like I, I talk about this all the time, drummers feel less than, they get frustrated because they feel like they're a supportive member, they don't have a voice, mm-hmm. they're always waiting for somebody to call them, and if nobody calls them, then they have nothing going on. And I always tell my students, especially students that may be a little older and a little farther along in the game, who have been doing this for a while and their their frustration level is very deep and that's part of why they come to me to get unstuck from a lot of the stuck places they're in both playing wise and also in terms of their you know playing career or in terms of their their progression as a drummer mm-hmm. and i'd say you know don't and, and i did a podcast on my show on on drummers resource about like leaders and sidemen and don't be afraid to be a leader you know if you feel like you have a strong vision for a band or a project or an album, you have every right and, you know, to, to be, to be that leader. Um, and what's important is that you're, you surround yourself with people who are going to help you to realize that vision, that they know that that's what the vision is and they're cool with that. And just like Mm -hmm. any other business arrangement, you make that agreement up front. Now, in the case of this particular project, we sort of were, we sort of had a, we had a meeting. I remember one day, this is already many years ago about like, do we want to take this to the next level? Like we really enjoyed playing with each other every time we would gig just like three, four times a year. Like I said, at the jazz intensive, and then we'd do a few little corporate things, but it wasn't, it was always like, damn, that was like incredible what we just did. We should do this for real. But you know, every, all the guys are just super busy. All of us have our own, things going on you know and we're, we're all high level side men and we you know the, the 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 guitar player also leads his own project and he's in other projects so um i uh sorry i don't know if my you can hear my computer is binging i'm getting text I messages can't. but no i can't um so sorry about that but uh the the finally i just said you know what i'm gonna helm this project and i'm gonna pay for the project and i'm going to lead the project and in a way that made it um possible to to have clarity and at the same time now i'm leading the project so i'm just going to have my name on it and i'm going to be responsible for everything so yeah i'm going to be the boss and i'm also going to be responsible for everything (laughs) so that's a double-edged sword you know and I think a lot of times people are afraid of taking on that responsibility. And it's yeah. partially why I waited a long time to, to get into this band leading thing again. So that was the process. And now I had to come up with money to for the recording. I had mm-hmm. to come up with money to pay the guys for the recording. Uh, I had to come up with money to mix. I had to pay for the photo shoot for the cover. Um, you know, I had to come up with the money for everything. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the label didn't help me pay for anything. Right. Um, how did, how helping... did the, how did the songwriting go? So on the creative side, uh, we all had some songs mm-hmm. and it can be tricky. You know, it, it, the, the trio, uh, everybody has very strong opinions, how things should go, but I'm the final arbiter, uh, of, of it all. So, um, we, I'm, I'm tr- I don't think we actually have any co-writes on this album, but what we did do was I would get together. We worked some things out in rehearsal, just talking about arrangements and stuff. The songs were, 
you know, every, every guy on the record has originals. And so it was sort of like, if this is your original, then you're the boss creatively and the rest mm -hmm. of us will kind of sit back, we'll make suggestions, but it's your, it's your call. Uh, and if the, like, we, we have this sort of our, the, the marquee song, if you will, from this album is our cover of Smoke on the Water. We were just jamming at a at a at a at a, a sound check one day, and the guitar player, who's who, you know, both the guitar player and I, I think a lot of jazz musicians these days grew up being rock players, so we're both very influenced by our rock roots and not afraid to bring that to this project. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the nature of what this album is all about. It's actually, it's just, I can't wait for everybody to listen to it because it's, um, it really is very conversational. It's like, we're, you know, I sort of imagine like, I don't know, you know, the police is sort of like as a rock band, everybody's doing interesting things and they're all very, they're all interacting to come up with something, but you can, it's, it's not just one person. It's not just Sting with three dudes behind him. You know, it's like right, right, right. every, every aspect of it is involved or, you know, Rush or something like that. Mm -hmm. And this, that's kind of how this band is. Like, it's not like, it's not a drum record where it's a million drum solos. Um, mm -hmm. The drum solos are in, inter, integrated into the music. And that's one of the things that I love about these guys. So we all agreed that we have something special that when we play together, it's like we're romping in the sandbox and we really go for it. You know, we're, we're, we're not afraid to really take risks. And just every time we get together, improvise, tons of eye contact. And I think you, you get that out of the record. So mm -hmm. we also were not afraid to like do stuff that's unexpected. So the smoke on the water thing. So we we did the smoke on the water in the jam session when it came time to do the record and that was just sort of jamming on it when it came time to do the record i had an idea for how i wanted to do the the main riff uh, 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 uh. and the first thing i was really influenced by this particular pat metheny track um that was a waltz and it's the kind of song that would just get stuck in my head and i couldn't get it out for like you know, a week, you know, you know, those kind of tunes. An earworm, if you will. Total earworm. What's and the name of the it, song? The song is Question and Answer. And mm -hmm. there's a live version. Um, Pat Metheny did a trio record with Bill uh, Stewart and Larry Grenadier. That is, it. there's a live record that is like one of my favorite records of all time. Um, I think it's just called Pat Metheny Trio. And I know he's okay. done trios with a lot of different people, but they do this 14-minute version of Question and Answer that is unreal. They also do a version of Giant Steps that is unlike any version of Giant Steps you'll, you've ever heard. Check that record out, just for Bill Stewart's drumming alone, but it's an amazing, like, it's talk about trio and interaction. So I was very inspired by that. Um, and so, but this Question and Answer tune is... Uh, it's a, it's a waltz. It's a 3-4. And that's one of my favorite time signatures to play in. And so I took the melody and totally twisted it of the main Smoke on the Water riff and twisted it into a, a really up-tempo 3-4 waltz. And I presented that to Sean, the guitarist. And then he took the verse and chorus parts of the song and he did his thing with them. And through that, we got our arrangement of Smoke on the Water. And then when we recorded it, it was just 
freaking magic, you know, because I was playing in a groove that I was comfortable in. He was playing in a way that was comfortable for him. And it just, it's, it's, I don't know, you've heard it. I mean, I just freaking love how it came out. And I think it, and people have been responding. It's great, man. And it's like, it's a totally different take on that tune. Totally different. And you, but you kind of go like smoke on the water. What? jazz trio is going to do free it's like a jazz trio doing Freebird or stairway to heaven or something you know so <laughs> it's like you you don't ex- you think oh is it a joke is it like a parody and then you put it on and you're like holy shit this is like a serious take on this song and it's a very fresh like approach to it you know and that's like i think it's going to be a great calling card for the band because it'll sort of be an oddity and then people will go oh okay these guys are for real and there this is very interesting and interestingly we we already have kind of our next classic rock song that we're going to do a take on that also came from me i arranged the whole thing i just hear stuff in my head and and then you know i the guitar player thankfully is pretty good at um um you know like finale mm-hmm. so we'll we'll get together and i'll write out rhythms for him and i'll try to explain as best I can, you know, and I studied some harmony, but I can't give him, you know, well, this is an A flat major six sharp 11 or whatever. You know, I just, um, you know, I just say, you have to oh, say it's it like, that, you it's have like to say this, it that way it's like too. this chord, the Jimi Hendrix chord, you know, is a dominant right. sharp nine. <laughs> and I'd say, you know, the Jimi Hendrix chord, right. From, from purple haze. Um, so anyway, I love the fact that, well, this is a uh, this is an A sharp minor, <laughs> right? You have to as soon as you start talking about notes, you automatic us drummers automatically go into that voice. Totally. <laughs> I mean, and and you know, think of how I mean these guys are master jazz musicians. They know harmony inside and out. Like right. those are the cats I'm hanging out with. So for me, I feel like a dunderhead trying to explain this to him. But he's he respects my ideas and the. The the tune we're going to open with tonight is a is a version of the Cream song "I Feel Free." I don't know if you know that tune by Cream. Um, it's not one of their most famous hits, but it was a pretty big hit. And the way we're doing it, I'm just I'm like out of my mind. And the whole arrangement came out of my head, just about all of it. But what's cool is within the framework of that, I'm not going to tell him what to play specifically. And what he comes up mm-hmm. with is amazing, you know. So yeah. Anyway. You know, long story short, that's the creative process there. Now, what I would like to do for the next record is actually co-write some tunes because I have some bits and pieces and fragments of other things that I've written that I want to bring to life and, you know, literally co-write, just get together. And it'll be me well, and him and his guitar. And So and, what do you, what what's your suggestion on someone who's like, hey, I don't, you know, I want to put out a record, but I'm a drummer. I don't have tunes. I don't play, I don't play a melodic instrument. Uh... How well, can you're I... putting yourself at a disadvantage. I mean, I think it's totally possible. I think, honestly, if you pay for the record, you know, and you cover mm-hmm. the cost and you put your name on it, then you can you can just get people to provide all the rest of it, you know? Mm-hmm. But it, it's sort of like, if are you paying for to have your name on a record as a vanity project or do you have something creative to say? I mean, I wouldn't, I would say, don't make a record unless you have something to say. You know, unless you're, you know, unless you're, you, you're, but even like if you're doing cover tunes, um, do something interesting with them, you know, tweak them, rearrange them. Um, 
Because the idea with this band is that we're trying to present ourselves as a band. And so whether we're doing originals or we're doing cover tunes, we're trying to put everything into the mold of what we do well when we get up on stage. We want to mm-hmm. present. So it almost doesn't matter what the material is. You know, so if you, if you have an incredible interaction with other musicians and you feel something special comes out of that, then whatever material you do should try to fit into that framework so that when you present an album, I mean, it's called an album for a reason, right? I mean, we, we think of album, but an album is like a photo album or it's a, it's a, it's a collection of pieces that are meant to be presented as a whole. And I know in today's world, you know, you, you access music as singles and this and that, but you know, jazz music is, I mean, I I suppose you could have an album in any, any style. I mean, people still put out albums that are meant to be heard as a collection of songs. And that's one of the great things say about Spotify or, you know, those kind of platforms, they, they present it to you either as singles or you could listen to the whole album and, you know, you have your choice, I guess. Mm-hmm. To, to access it so for me if i make an album i want the album to be reflexive reflective of what the what the band is what the band is doing you know yeah and you've got to work out all those other arrangements but i think the worst thing musicians do is they leave things unsaid you know and it's like getting married before you know somebody or you've talked about issues. You know, it's, they ain't going to go away. The issues <laughs> are not going to go away. Plenty of that, plenty of that going on. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, you know, a band is a relationship. I mean, yeah. And I mean, so a lot of people like in the jazz world will just hire like singers. They, you know, they'll hire a piano player who will do all their arrangements and will be their musical director. Then the piano player will hire musicians that they're comfortable with and right. you put out a polished record that represents the voice of the singer. So that's mm-hmm. another way, in, in, especially in jazz, people will, will hire heavyweight studio cats to be on their record. I guess the same thing happens in pop where, you know, they could say, oh, featuring, you know, Michael Brecker and this one and right, that one right. or whatever. But I don't know. Those things, I don't, they don't appeal to me personally right. very much. Well, I think you know. that I think there is a there's a distinction where one, if you're if, yeah, if you're hiring Michael Brecker or someone to say that they're on your record, but the flip side of that, if there are people who you admire and you want to play with, maybe they're yeah. not superstars, but they're just people that you really like their playing or something like that. They're ninety nine point nine nine percent of musicians are hireable, right. so you can hire them to I, play. I'm, on, I'm grateful for those people because they hire me because they want my thing on their record. And then if they want to do a gig, they've got to hire me for the gig. Mm -hmm. And so that's fine. Like, it's just another way of doing it. But I have always been a fan of bands. I've always, like every record that I have put out under my own name, or I have a record with a a group I had called the Rhythm Club All-Stars. To me, it's about, you know, the band and the band sound and... You know, whether I'm leading it or whether it's a co-op, you know, Royal Crown Review. It's so funny. I don't even know how Royal Crown Review managed to stay around for so many years because we, we always referred to ourselves. Our singer came up with the best line. He said, we were a democracy of seven dictators, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which probably describes a lot of bands. Yeah. Um, somehow we figured it out that we would run things as a community band. Um, but that's difficult. 
you know, especially when you get older, like if you're young and everyone's poor and you're all like a street gang and you're in it together and you have nothing else other than that's your only project, then that makes sense. If yeah. you're older and more established and everyone is running in every direction, you you know, you're not going to find musicians who are just going to show up to rehearse for free and record for free and, and hope that it sells, you know? Mm-hmm. But what yeah. I'm doing as the leader with these guys, I show them respect. I show them gratitude. I pay them for their time. I, you know, tonight our show is sold out, so I'm going to make a good chunk of change. You know, my deal with Birdland was I got a very small guarantee against what they earned in music charges. So it was mm-hmm. up to me. Um, but I sold the room out, so I will be rewarded and I will pass that love along. And the guys, you know, I make sure when we when we have gigs that I feed them that, you know, I mean, it's just all these little respect things that make a musician go, yeah, this guy's for real and I'm willing to make him more of a priority over something else. Right. Because right. I believe in this, you know, even though it's not my name on the on the cover. I mean, just yesterday, you know, the guitarist was like, yeah, we are starting to sound like a band, you yeah. know? So, but it's... it's and, and, like, yeah. and I think that you not only, one, it's the right thing to do and you want to treat people the way that you would like to be treated, exactly. but also there's that people are going to talk about that and they'll say oh yeah man working with daniel's great and it'll get you work too because people recommend you for gigs they'll be working on another project and they say oh i got the right guy to bring into this project or or whatever it is and and you get you get a lot further in life where if you're thinking about long term and just treating people the right way you know and the also being on this label and i told the guys this i explained this whole kind of major label distribution situation like the label's really smart. They know how to look at the numbers. They, you know, like, and they, in their opinion, like, used to be in the old days, all the work would be done up to the release, right? Mm-hmm. And now the release is really just the beginning. And what they invest in, this is the other thing that that sealed the deal for me to go with them, is that they, you know, it's a year-long campaign that will commence from tonight. So, gotcha. You know, that was just getting yeah, us to the starting line, really. <laughs> yeah, know? that is different for how, how it used to work. Yeah. So, of course, and, and people also have expectations. I mean, the record business today, selling music is, I, I take my head off to anybody that starts a record label. And I know right off the bat, I'm not going to get an advance. It's not, it's a partnership. And mm-hmm. I'm going to give them a significant chunk of this project um, because that's the only way they're going to make any money. But... If you, you have to do your due diligence and make sure you're dealing with people who know what they're doing, who aren't just, uh, you have to talk to people in the industry whose opinion, who know more, talk to somebody who's been in the industry for 30 years before you sign a deal, Mm -hmm. you know, pay a little money and have a lawyer who is an entertainment lawyer, not somebody who just is a lawyer. (laughs) Don't get a divorce attorney to write up. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, you know, I, it was it was expensive to have someone look over this contract, but I learned a lot just from my conversations with her. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, have realistic expectations. I know it's still mostly on me to make this happen. But one of the things they said, and this is what I wanted to point out is that, um, they said, you're going to be amazed with this major label distribution, quote unquote, like you're going to, you're going to develop like huge following in Finland or Germany or, Korea, you know, I mean, you never know where your stuff's going to take off. And when something kind of takes off in a place or whatever, that leads to things that leads to people bringing me out or bringing the band out or, 
you know, I mean, uh, you know, there still are distributors and physical distributors. I think our distribution deal is only for the U.S. Uh, in terms of the physical product. So there are Japanese distributors that might, uh, you know, buy 500 CDs at a certain price point. That's a chunk of dough, mm-hmm. you know, and I would yeah. say, I would share that or not, you know, maybe not even split, but I would give some of that love to the guys, you know, if, if, if that happened tonight, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully I'll get a good, a, a good chunk and I'll give them love because we had two rehearsals this week and, you know, I mean, they've, they've really been there. So you gotta, you gotta massage things at the same token. Sometimes I have to put my foot down and go, that's a cool idea, but no, or let's try <laughs> something else. Or I don't want this song in the record. I want this song in the record, or I think it should go, you know, and so I got to, then, then you got to be the boss. You can't let people take over and run your show as, right. you know, some people would want to do that too, is you have to really walk the line between being a motivator and kind of imposing discipline on the situation when needed in a, mm-hmm. you know, in mm-hmm. a loving way, hopefully. Yeah. And just hope that you make good decisions and things don't implode. I mean, <laughs> like you know often when you become successful that's when everything falls apart because then everybody's looking at money and they're not you know thinking about the creative part of it but right who knows with a jazz trio i'm thinking the odds of uh that that happening well you never know you never never know know. you might get your music in a movie you might i mean there's so many hey man you had your music music. in a movie before i did yeah yeah for sure uh I had these people from, um, they sort of made this interactive video game thing. They, the Century Project drum solo, they licensed that from me. And there was another company in Taiwan Taiwan that wanted to license it for an industrial film that they were doing for a huge convention. So that stuff's out there, you know, and stuff happens. So um, anyway. Well, I am excited to hear and see what happens with this record and and i should mention by the way the record the name of the record which we haven't said yet it's the daniel glass trio and the name of the record is bam and the the front cover um is me kicking my leg right up in the air in front of the camera have you seen the cover i have i'm looking at it right now. okay yeah so i like it um it's a pretty fun it's a pretty fun cover it's not kind of cover you'd expect from a jazz trio at all and the title of the record is just bam and the idea behind that uh which i will share very quickly is that um probably people that know me from royal crown review know that my nickname in royal crown review was bam bam um you know after pebbles and bam bam that the lead singer eddie just started calling me that on a gig one one day so i became bam bam never, daddy glass I never, I never knew that yeah so that's one thing second because this is a drummer-led record, bam is a very percussive word. And third, with that kind of kick and that this is sort of our debut record, I just wanted to say, like, here we are, MFers. You know, we've come to to kick your ass in a great way. Here it is, bam, you know. So like it. it had a lot of different kind of meanings. And, you know, who who what jazz group calls their record bam and does a, <laughs> does a cover of Smoke on the Water? So... I figured it was audacious enough that it was either going to really work for us, which I think it is, or, you know, it was just going to be a total disaster. But I think, I think, 
I think it's going to be the former. I think I made a I good like choice. It. I'm a fan. But, I'm a fan. But trust me, like I questioned my decision on all of these things because I'm like, should I do that? Should I have this picture of me kicking on the front cover of a jazz record? You know? Hell yeah! And it's like, it's like if you're going to do it, then go all in. Just, just fully like Lady Gaga, you know. Yep. Or, you know, whatever. Sting. I mean, when they when they did something so audacious, people were like, I'm sure most people were like, you're an idiot. That's never going to work, <laughs> you know. Or who calls themselves that? Well, no one. So exactly. Right. Yeah. So anyway. Um, I like it. I like it. <laughs> Good. I'm Good. A, uh, well, you'll you'll drop it in the show notes, I'm guessing, or a link I will. to it or something. Yeah, it'll be in the show notes. And, uh, and uh, so it's available everywhere, right? It's on Spotify, Apple, blah, 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 uh, blah. As of tomorrow, which um, this, this probably won't air. So as of the 29th of April, 2020, it will be everywhere. Nice. On all your favorite platforms, Apple Music, Spotify, all of them, like Deezer. I'd never even heard of Deezer, but it'll be on Deezer well, for you get, Deezer fans out there. You got to get with the times. Boy, I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying to drag my old ass into the times, you know? <laughs> well, dude, I'm super excited. I know that you've been working on this for a long time. We've, we've been talking about it for a while. So to finally see it all come to fruition and it's here, man, like you're doing, you're doing your album release show and, uh, today, today, tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'm really excited for, it. I could not be happier for you. Thank and, you. Uh, I really appreciate it. And thank you for uh, giving me the platform. And I, I always say this when we talk, but I, at some point I'm going to bring back the Daniel Glass show, assuming there is a drummer's resource platform on which to house it. And we're going to do some more, some more shows. Cause I have a lot of ideas. I'll believe it's it. Just... You know, I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe it when I see it. I, and as well, you should, you should. And I'm skeptical. saying that, and I'm saying that not because I want to give you shit. I'm saying that because I want you to bring the show back. So yes, that's exactly. my that's little, you drop my gauntlet. little nudge. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Good. Sure. You'll, well, okay. Sure. You'll bring it back. All right. <laughs> I, I don't like the connotation that maybe drummer's resource isn't going to be around, but uh, well, yeah, that's my, that's my, uh, you know, I don't know what. That's just me talking trash. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we we do a lot of that when we get together. Yeah, we do. We I think do. we've and actually I, been very, very polite today by all standards. We have. You should, if, if only people could hear our other conversations. <laughs> I know. You know. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, well, man, again, I, dude, I'm, I'm so happy for you. I really am. Uh, you bust your ass with every, everything that you do is always top-notch high quality you put a lot of thought into every single thing you do you never ever ever half-ass anything <laughs> and i've listened to one song on the record i'm going to listen to the rest of the record but i already know without listening to it that you did not half-ass this record so thank you congratulations thank well you, deserved dude and Appreciate everyone it. go out and listen to bam the new record from the daniel glass trio and let's all give him shit on social media if he doesn't start uh doing the podcast again yes <laughs> awesome cool, thank man. you brother yeah man i will uh i'll talk to you soon man i love you congratulations and i'll love talk you too to you soon. all right There you have it, the one, the only Mr. Daniel Glass. You can check out the show notes by going to drummersresource.com forward slash 658. Also, check out his new record, Bam, and you can find that everywhere, online. And other than that, that's all I got. So until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace. 
Drummer's Resource is produced by Revoice Media. Executive producer Nick Ruffini, that's me, edited by Justin Thomas, video editing by Tomas Shannon, and graphic design by Catherine Wade. For more music and entertainment podcasts, be sure to check out revoicemedia.com. <laughs>